I like the way the text ramp documentation uh, says it. You know, it says it most succinctly out of all the definitions. It provides a standardized approach to the security assessment of cloud computing services. That's that to me is the best the best response for what these ramps are trying to accomplish. A way of showing agencies, whether federal, state, or, or local, that there are cloud service providers that uh, have been vetted and approved. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford, President and CISO at Alan Alford Consulting. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. With me today is Jay Adams, CISO at EndChoice. Now, Jay and I worked together at Mitel quite some time ago, and Jay has also held roles such as security architect at text.gov, which if you live in the state of Texas, you know that's a bit of a website, and other cool roles he's had, uh, mergers and acquisitions. He's got a lot of startups under his belt. He even has some experience working at Accenture. And we're talking today about ramps, not skateboard ramps, not those bike ramps you built as a kid for your BMX bike, but risk and authorization management programs. It all started with FedRAMP. The Federal Risk and Authorization Management Program, a.k.a. FedRAMP, began in 2011. It goes that far back. It was a way to ensure the security of cloud services used by the U.S. government. Federal agencies needed a way to trust cloud services, and they constantly cited security as a prime reason for not using them, so they came up with FedRAMP. Flash forward uh, several years, and all of a sudden you start to see individual state governments coming up with the same sort of thing. Uh, TexRAMP here in Texas, uh, AZRAMP in Arizona, a bunch of these states began crafting their own uh, ramps, their own requirements and mandates for cloud security. And let me read you a little bit about the Texas one in specific. It's a program that provides a standardized approach for security assessment, authorization, and continuous monitoring of third-party vendors that process the data of a state agency or public higher ed institution in the state of Texas. So higher ed is included there. The Texas Department of Information Resources, a.k.a. DIR, which, believe it or not, back in 1996, I worked there, uh, developed the program in compliance with Senate Bill 475. So that's TexRAMP. Now, just to add more mud to the waters, um, it gets a little more interesting than that because a bunch of the state governments got together and realized that instead of having their own individual ramps, uh, AZ in Texas, for example, uh, they decided to do state ramp. And state ramp now includes government agencies from the following states here. We've got California, Florida, Georgia, Massachusetts, Michigan, New Hampshire, Oklahoma, North Carolina, and Texas. You tell me the last time Texas and California went in on the same thing together. That's actually pretty impressive. Um, so that's kind of our intro to the ramps. Uh, Jay, I want to thank you so much for coming out to the Cyber Ranch. Thank you for having me, Alan. It's a pleasure to be here. All righty. And let's talk about all of your experiences with these. Now, Jay's on the show because he's done a lot more of this stuff than I have. Uh, I got to tell my audience now, I have dodged the FedRAMP bullet twice in my career. Uh, both times I managed to not be the guy to do FedRAMP. Um, so I've never actually done one of the ramps. Jay, however, is in the thick of it uh, with some of this stuff. So, Jay, I'll, I'll throw you an easy one first. What's the relationship between the state ramp and the FedRAMP? Well, let me let me be clear, Alan. You know, I haven't done Fed Ramp or State Ramp. I'm in the throes of Tex Ramp specifically right now, so I just wanted to be clear about that. But I've done some research, and the differences between 
Fed ramp and state ramp, uh, the relationship rather, is um, that they're both built off the NIST 853 uh, um, framework. Uh, they both require third-party uh, assessment organizations, audits, and continuous monitoring, and they use impact levels of low, moderate, and high that align, that align with those NIST controls. Um, and they also utilize those statuses of ready and authorized. That's the uh, similarities between the two. Okay, so 853, which, interestingly enough, is an uh, in-agency version of 171, right? Um, 171 and, eight, and, and 53 are very, very, very similar. They're very related. And it's interesting that CMMC is based on 171 and FedRAMP is based on 53. There's not a whole lot of difference there in, in reality. What we're really saying is that there's some common lineage and heritage here with CMMC and all this ramp stuff, which is kind of interesting to me. There is, and it's interesting how they everybody wants to have their own flavor in the beginning, and yet, uh, what and each of the uh, programs of verbiage, you can uh, see that they're trying to create a standardized approach. So it's 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 almost counterintuitive. I mean, they're they're, they're creating all these different ramps, and 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 yet they're wanting a standardized framework. Yeah, I get that. I get that, and that's that's the old uh, XKCD cartoon joke about. Uh, Gee, there's too many standards. Let's create one superset standard that is inclusive of all of them. Flash forward to tomorrow. Now there's one more standard. Uh, <laughs> and, and the process never ends, right? So how about how about the relationship between text ramp and state ramp? I know that there's um there's more to it than just the heritage. We're not just talking about 171 or 53 or any of these kinds of you know NIST standards. There's some nuances and rubber meets the road uh stories there on text ramp versus state ramp, aren't there? There are. Um, it, it really all depends on on what your goals are for the business. I mean, you have to know your business needs um, and and where where your customers are um, and and making these decisions right away. Uh, for instance, um, we we do some business at in choice with the, the the state of Texas, and so we we had we were thrown into TexRamp, and I didn't get much of an opportunity to to look into state ramp. It was just, we had to do this. It had to be done by January uh, 1st of 2022. And here you go. Um, so we, we, um, we were able to get a provisional status, uh, which, which gives us 18 months uh, to, to meet all of the requirements of the text ramp um, standards. So, so you're chugging along can, and marching to that drum. Um, yeah, but, yeah. but state ramp, let's, let's imagine, you know, and you mentioned the business, right? So I, I'm going to guess, and this one's going to sound obvious, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you want to do business in more than one state, i.e. California, Texas, Florida, Georgia, Massachusetts, Michigan, blah, 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 state ramp would start to make more sense. In other words, do it once, bag it in a couple of places, but there's some other considerations. Are there not for text ramp versus state ramp? There are. A text ramp um, is a, is a free uh, audit. Um, there's no cost associated with it. Um, there's also not much handholding in the process versus with state ramp. Um, there are some fees uh, associated uh, with the state ramp uh, process, um, and it's all based on the revenue of the organization. Mm -hmm. And they could, you know, they can be be sizable. So it just depends on what your budget uh, budget is. If if you have less than if you're an SMB and you have less than ten thousand dollars in GRC funds available, then you know 
makes sense to go the text ramp uh, uh, way. Um, but if you have a little bit more fun, uh, funds available for your GRC needs and, and you want to get your biggest bang for your buck, then it makes sense to go the state ramp route. Okay. So, so cost for audit, uh, cost mm-hmm. for the sort of the handholding to get you through it. You're, you're, you're paying money for the, for the coaching and, and guidance through the process as well. It sounds like. Yeah, the 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 state ramp uh, they they have they want to try to get as many service providers as possible approved, um, so that they're so that the states have more uh, options to choose uh, choose from. So they've set up PMO, and those you know the costs being what they are, it looks like it's it's mainly uh, just the bare cost associated to run that PMO. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a for-profit service. I think it's just, you know, what's needed in order to help them, you know, have that higher, higher level of touch, you know, to provide, answer questions uh, uh, to cloud service providers and and also state agencies that that have questions as well. Because it's been forced upon service providers and state agencies, which, you know, is, is kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I'm picturing that PMO is yet another state service, like, you know, Alan Alford consulting, right? I deal with the secretary of state. I deal with the uh, controller's office and all that kind of good stuff. And I go to a live website and I interact with forms and sometimes I get stuck and have to call somebody and get a human. It's that same kind of thing. You're paying Mm -hmm. for the fact that there's a human to pick up the phone and say, oh yes, no, go to this site, click here, click here. That's the form you want to use for this, sir. And you know, it's, it's just the standard sort of governmental services where they're they're answering the phones and walking you through what you need to know to be successful with the program. So, okay, that costs money, especially when it's run by the government, it's going to cost money. Mm-hmm. I get all that. So, so let's back up and, and talk about the really obvious question, which we kind of ran into this very fast uh, in my intro, but what's the purpose of all of these ramps, right? Like, you know, I mentioned FedRAMP started with, hey, let's make sure cloud is secure, but it's obviously evolved past that. What's really going on with all this? You know, I like the way the text ramp documentation uh, says it. You know, it says it most succinctly out of all the definitions. It provides a standardized approach to the security assessment of cloud computing services. Well, that's, that's that to me is the best the best response for what these ramps are trying to accomplish. A way of showing agencies, whether federal, state, or, or local, that there are cloud service providers that uh, have been vetted and approved. Uh, to and are continuously monitored, monitored, and have their security uh, policies and procedures and and activities uh, reviewed on a regular basis. So, so there's an ongoing review component too, not just a get certified, check the box, and boogie kind of thing. There's a there's a there's a commitment to be evaluated on the regular. And it's it's quite invasive in in the case of, you know in TechSoup, you have to provide uh, you have to provide DIR quarterly vulnerability scans. Oh, nice. Um, and remediation plans. I, I, so it, it does add a, uh, it, it, it does hold uh, the service providers accountable uh, to ensure that they meet their ongoing requirements. And um, there are uh, ways that you can have your certification revoked. That's crazy to me. That's, that's, um, uh, I want to say on behalf of the consumers, the state agency consumers of that cloud service, that's impressive, man. Quarterly, and you have to check in, and you got to show them a remediation plan, not just vuln results, but hey, we're actually addressing and dealing with it. That's much more 
comprehensive than almost any of these certification standards that are out there today. It, it, it's very similar. You know, it feels in, in many ways kind of like PCI in, uh, in a way um, that with your annual pen test and yep. your quarterly pen, uh, your quarterly vulnerability scans. And, and so, uh, but fortunately you don't have, uh, you can overlap those costs. You can share those costs across multiple certifications. So if you're, if you're, you know, working with state agencies that have cardholder data in it, you know, your vendor will cover your vulnerability scans will cover both of those requirements. Right on. So, yeah. I always forget about PCI and its quarterly requirements. I haven't had to do PCI in quite some time. I've been dealing with SOC 2 and HIPAA and NIST and ISO and some other ones that aren't so uh, aggressively quarterly on you there. Um, so, all right. Fed, uh, tax ramp versus state ramp. Um, I, 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 I stumbled into something. I'm going to read this to our listeners here. State ramp satisfies tax ramp requirements with full reciprocity granted from tax ramp. In other words, if I go and get state ramp, I've bagged tax ramp as well. If you are state ramp ready or authorized, you are automatically granted tax ramp certification. Automatically. State ramp has a weekly automated sync, and every Friday afternoon, state ramp authorized products appear on the tax ramp list with ease. Um, that all makes it sound like another compelling reason to want to go for state ramp over tax ramp. But as you said, there's cost there. Um, and tax ramp is free. You know, and it also absolves you of the quarterly reporting to DIR with your vulnerability management program. If you use this, the state ramp uh, overlay there, they don't require you to, mm -hmm. to do the quarterly vulnerability scans to DIR but you're still held accountable because state ramp uh, has that requirement. Okay. So, so you're okay. So, so the requirements on the table, is just, you're, you're sending it to a different entity is what it sounds like. Let's pause right there real quick for a word from our sponsor. Do you want to make cloud security risks a no brainer and remove friction between your security and dev teams? Well, Daz takes the pain out of the cloud remediation process using automation and intelligence to discover, reduce and fix security issues lightning fast. Daz prioritizes alerts, shrinks backlog to actionable root causes, and improves mean time to remediation from weeks to hours. And best of all, keeps your developers focused on what they love doing most, coding. Visit daz.io slash demo and see for yourself. That's D-A-Z-Z dot I-O slash demo. That's, that's, that's what it is. And, they're, and, and fortunately, they're not making you do double work. And I'm not 100% uh, certain on um, state ramp. I would assume so because there's a continuous monitoring component for uh, state ramp. I just haven't dove into all the nuances of state ramp just yet. I got it. I got it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you've been focused on tech ramp, which, which, you know, given that A, it came out first, B, it's more urgent, C, it's free. Um, can't hurt to start there. And if you decide to pivot into state ramp, that seems like a valid well, that's, strategy. That's as what well, likely right? what we're going to do uh, in my organization, I, it just makes the most sense because once once you get state rep, you um, you listed all of the other states uh, that that will uh, acknowledge that uh, certification. So it's it's audit once yeah. and report many. Right, right, right. So the reciprocity goes state ramp to tax ramp. That's great. Tax ramp to state ramp probably a little bit more of a leap. You probably have a few more things to deal with. But I would imagine it's a small I, delta. I can't imagine it being uh, 
too much. I, I think there would be a larger delta between state ramp and fed ramp than there would be between text ramp and state ramp. So Jay, walk me through how a small company can possibly get TechSramp certified, right? It seems kind of daunting. You guys are small. You're up against a lot. How do you how do you pull this off? What we had to do is we had to go on to the TechSramp webpage and submit a request form for the IR. Um, we had to submit a re- complete the TechSramp assessment request form, and that's on the IR's webpage. And once uh, you submit that, the IR reviews the submission to determine if additional information is needed or not. Then it's up to the state agency to, de- to determine what uh, certification level are needed. You know, there's two baseline standards and, and three statuses. Did you want to? Did you want to dive into that? Yeah, let's dive into that. Let's get into that a little okay, bit. Okay, so the, the level one is text ramp baseline is for like public non confidential information or low impact systems. The level two certification deals more with confidential information, regulated data, PCI, EPHI, forms of PII. Uh, moderate or high impact systems. So that's the two levels for the baseline standards. And and once the state agency determines which level uh, applies to your certification, um, then you go for a, a certification level. And those are provisional status, uh, level one certification, and level two certification. Okay. Okay. So this this is where we deviate a little bit from CMMC because you know, CMMC, the levels are basically based on the um, maturity of the organization versus here the levels are based on the confidentiality of the information involved, right? So in other words, this is this is more like a high, medium, low um, data classification schema than it is a maturity model for the levels, which is an important distinction to me. Absolutely. Determine it based on the categories of information. So, uh, Confidential information, driver's license numbers, license plates, drafts of policymaking documents are, are just a few examples of what those classifications are for level two. Yeah, level one is just like your email for logging in, you know, anything that's readily available to the public, uh, like CAD information, you know, that would be anything that's public available information. You put in an address, it's going to, you're going to get a first and last name of an individual owner. Yeah, of course, of course. That kind of stuff's already publicly available, which is why I get so many freaking phone calls from roofing companies. Right. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that happens down there where you're at in Austin, but up here in Dallas, every time we get a hailstorm, I can expect about 20 spam calls over the next two weeks from roofing companies that are, quote, unquote, offering free inspections. Right. Or uh, we're already working with your neighbors down the street or whatever their little gotcha is. They're just they're pulling it straight off the state website. They, they follow the weather patterns, they know where the hail landed, and then they just cross-reference that to the county records, and they're calling people. You know, one of the things I'm struggling with right now, legislation uh, for state agencies and service providers into this uh, certification process, and the state agencies, it's new to them as well. So they're, having a, they're, they're trying to determine how to uh, classify you know, what level certification you need. And, and sometimes I feel like they get it wrong. And in one particular case, uh, applications uses just the email. It uses email for a little more than just login because it's a little more than login. They require a level two. 
So I have to jump through a lot more hoops and it, and it's subject to the state agency's interpretation. So I'm, I'm hoping to, uh, to go back and after reviewing the program manual, a little bit more in detail and, and sit down with the stakeholder and, and try to advocate for a uh, level one certification rather than a level two. Yeah, I get that. You know, and you have to wonder how new data classification is for these agencies. Like, I would hate to think this is their first journey down that road, but it may well be that this is what's kind of a, the forcing function on, on a true data classification schema where the agencies are having to go through their own data and figure out the rules and figure out what applies. And, and, and this might be the first time some of these agencies are doing this. Well, interestingly enough, I was just reading uh, in the program, Angela, it, and I, I'm quoting this, it is at a state's agency's discretion which agency created and implemented data classification categories, for example, public, sensitive, confidential, regulated, et cetera, are subject to the below baselines. The broad categories of non-confidential and confidential can include regulated, confidential, sensitive, and public data, but a state agency must determine which baseline is most appropriate for cloud computing services that processes information. Okay. That, that's, that's a moment where DIR failed to um, take control and, and be able to drive an agency-wide, multi-agency-wide standard, right? That's, that's what that tells me is somebody, somebody probably pushed for a standardized schema and realized they couldn't do it and had to leave it up to the agencies, which means, of course, the agencies have different levels of maturity with regards to data classification. So now you're dealing with kind of what you're dealing with. And, and for folks who don't know, you know, Texas may be unique. I don't know how similar this model is to other states, but DIR is effectively sort of the IT department for the entire state, uh, Department of Information Resources. And when I worked there, I worked at a, um, a group called the STAC, the State Technology Assessment Center. And what we did was any and all brand new, cool, cutting edge tech that came down the pike would come to us. We would evaluate it in our labs. We would do write-ups and we would make recommendations. And then state agencies would or would not purchase based on those recommendations. Uh, that was one function DIR had. DIR also wrote most of the technology legislation. DIR also ran the state of Texas website, which, by the way, I was the webmaster for the state of Texas in 96. The entire state of Texas website ran on a deck alpha workstation on my desk. <laughs> No redundancy, no backup. I had I had tape backups, right? But the state of Texas, www.state.tx.us, ran on my desk. Um, pretty crazy. Ninety six, man. They were they were they were wild times for all this stuff. But there was legislation. Uh, there was there was you know standardization. There was uh, a, attempting to influence the other agencies to go certain directions on IT technology and and, and not on others. And and DIR's mission and charter have obviously grown as technology has morphed in state government and grown. You know DIR has grown. So I, I haven't kept up with every one of their remits, but at the end of the day, that's kind of what they are as a, a driving function of standardization of technology. And so things like this fall under their jurisdiction, but they're not the biggest agency and they don't have the clout to just knock everyone else around and make them conform. So there's a lot of beg, borrow, steal. There's a lot of going up to the hill and uh, ghostwriting legislation and trying to put things through. And then the other agencies push back and da, 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 da. And, you know, on, on go the machinations of uh, state government. Interestingly, though, in the second revision of the program manual, they have started adding a lot of extensions. I've found for the provisional status, there's an additional nine months of extensions that you can apply for uh, if if you haven't uh, yet achieved the the appropriate certification. Right, and that's that's not an uncommon story either, where government attempts to sort of ramrod something through and the and the pushback from the community is so vast that they 
are forced to retreat a little bit on the rigor of the requirements and, and loosen the schedule somewhat. And that's not an uncommon story either. And it, you know, it, it, it's funny because the folks that are pro-regulation in our industry, you know, talk about things like until the government mandates, we're never going to blah, blah, blah. And, and, and I think that's a valid argument. I think having an outside driver who makes it law to reach a certain baseline of cybersecurity means we will all reach that baseline of cybersecurity. Like if there's an outside driver making it law, we're going to do it. Okay, that makes sense. That's good sense. But then the actual authority of that agency to go through and mandate, like, the, the you know, the White House can't write a letter tomorrow that says everyone must comply with these 10,000 steps. It's never going to happen. The entire country would revolt and say, no, we're not doing it, right? You just, you know, even though they have that authority as the law, they don't really have that authority as the law. No entity on the planet has that authority to just shape the behaviors of all the other entities. It just doesn't work. So it's not it's not a surprise to see that kind of slippage. Um, but I still say, you know, bully for them for doing this, right? I, I want to see more text ramp and I want to see more state ramp, although I'd like to see it more affordable. I'd like to see more Fed ramp. I'd, I'd like to see more mandate that cloud service providers have to go through and, and prove a certain degree of, of satisfaction in order to house public information. It's, you know, it's kind of like the credit bureaus for me, right? And, and tell me if this is a crazy analogy or not. But I didn't choose to do business with a credit bureau ever. These are these large ephemeral organizations out there in the ether who somehow got a hold of my information, my most sensitive information, and now process it, parcel it, display it, sell it, question it, challenge it, and do all these things with it. And I never once gave them that info or asked for them to have it in the first place. To me, the state agencies, is kind of the same thing. Any state agency mm-hmm. has got a lot of dirt on me, whether I want them to or not, right? They've got my driver's license. They've got my license plate. They've got my et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, whatever, salary history, state taxes, whatever kind of stuff might be going on there, right? So not that Texas actually has state taxes, but you get the idea. Right. Um, and so to know that that entity is out there with all my sensitive information, And to know that they're doing business with a bunch of other third parties, I sure sleep better at night knowing that those third parties are being held to a standard, right? I would agree. The only cautionary word I would have with that is that you don't make it to where it's a pay-to-play kind of legislation, to where you whittle out the, the innovative small companies that are agile, that are able to to dive into new technologies like AI, prompt engineering, and other evolving technologies uh, to make better systems. And yet you create so much bureaucracy and costs that unaffordable for these startups to participate. I think if it gets to that point, it's not doing proper service for the citizens of Texas and, and other states. So there has to be a proper balance of security, verification, and maintaining that competitive environment where innovation can thrive. I love it. I love that. That's a really, really brilliant, really salient point. Um, The little guys are always the innovators, right? I don't care what industry you're talking about. The little guys are the innovators. That's where new happens. Uh, The big guys, yeah, they can innovate. I don't want to say big companies can't innovate, but, but a collective pool of 20 little companies probably has more innovation in their back pocket than, than the two biggest ones combined, right? I mean, it's just, that's kind of how it works. Well, it's just like, it's just like, you know, you compare your big five consulting firms to like a cargo ship, right? Your medium-sized companies to more or less your, your luxury yachts, you know, and then and then your small companies are these agile little cigar boats or, or uh, you know, 
offshore fishing boats that can turn and move and adjust and and react to market conditions faster. So you want a good you want a good uh, balance of all of those working together under a logical framework that's risk based. Don't want to forget about risk based approach to security here because you can make things completely unusable if you if if you lock it down too tight. We want it to be practical, risk-based, and, and meaningful in a way that people can use those systems and, and integrate with new technology. I love it. Well, Jay Adams, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thank you, listeners, for listening to us talk about FedRAMP, StateRAMP, TexRAMP, AZRAMP, all the ramps, bike ramps, skateboard ramps, you name them. <laughs> Jay, thanks again. My pleasure. Thank you, Alan. All right. And thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now.